0: The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting and it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvellous stuff, marvellous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Another edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore, and it is Wednesday, April the 29th, 2020. That was The Temptations with Ball of Confusion. That's what the world is today. And the world is a ball of confusion. I think this country, the United States of America right now, is in a state of confusion, gaslighting, panic, anger, grief, mourning, uncertainty. And I think we're going through a slow motion, death. We've got to a point now where all of this death has suffocated us, I think. And I think that all of this death is to borrow a word for lack of a better one, paralyzing. We are in a state of trauma, I think, that is very, very grave at the moment. And I do wonder about our collective mental health. We have now over 58,000 people in this country, no longer here, they have all died due to the coronavirus. And we have over a million cases here. There were a million Vietnamese that American forces killed during the Vietnam War. And we now have over a million cases of coronavirus in this country. And I'm certainly not comparing cases to deaths, but what I am saying is is that a million of anything that is negative, is not good. So what I wonder about, before I get to the main point in this episode, is our mental health, but also our collective stability. There's so many news stories today so many news stories today that I can't even get to except to give you some real, just literal, quick headlines. Food banks are struggling throughout the United States. The demand is understandably through the roof. Lines All over the country, long lines, long, long lines, up to two, three, four hours. People who've never understood what poverty is like, people who who are living literally a paycheck or two away from it now because they've been laid off, now are experiencing poverty for real. And I think people, many people in this country knew that if they were to lose their job, if they were to have some injury or accident, if they were to be in a situation where some disaster came along or they were fired from their job, they were really going to be in some serious trouble. And that's what we're seeing now all over the country. Reports of people who've never been on a food line before, never been to a food bank before, have no understand, And then... They're ashamed, there's shame. And I wonder how many of those people had previously looked down upon those in this country who are food insecure as it's called, who are hungry, who are homeless, the children who go to school hungry every day. I wonder how many of the people who were and are on food bank lines now as a result of this pandemic. I wonder How many of those individuals previously looked down on kids that were going to school hungry? Kids that were going to school and were truant and were behaving in ways that were not positive because of the fact, not because it's pathological or inherent, but because of the fact they weren't getting meals at home, that they lived in poverty. And I wonder now how those individuals who may have looked down on poor kids, particularly poor black kids. I wonder how they look now upon them. I wonder how they feel now. You've got meatpacking places opening. You've got Trump signing executive orders invoking and enacting the Defense Production Act to reopen meat packing places even though cases are skyrocketing at many of them south dakota iowa numerous other places in the midwest but trump signs an executive order enacting and activating the defense production act reopen those Meat packing places, never mind the fact that there are deaths in each of those packing places in those states that I've mentioned and beyond. Never mind that, go back to work. There's something really psychopathic about that because it is psychopathic. It's interesting when we are asking for Trump, begging Trump to Use the Defense Production Act for everything. Just go full bore and say, here, I am activating this Defense Production Act across the board so that industry can build things, can stop what they're doing and focus on building things to protect the general health and safety and well-being of the American public when Governor Cuomo begs for ventilators and Donald Trump says, no, you know, you don't need 40,000 to 30,000 ventilators. You don't need them. This is all a death cult. Governors in Republican states, Republican governors in some of these states who are declaring, no, go back to work. Governor Kim Reynolds in Iowa who says if your employer asks you to go back to work and you refuse to do so even though you are in a pandemic even though you fear contracting coronavirus well guess what we are going to and your employer is going to consider you voluntarily fired What a world we live in. It really feels like we are watching in slow motion the death of this country. I think we can do something about that, though, and I know we will do something about this in November. For many of us, November cannot come quickly enough. But what does November look like? What does November look like for you? Can you map out here in late April? What six months down the road looks like? Can you map that out? Are you thinking that far ahead? Or are you thinking about next week? Thinking about two days from now when the rent is due? Are you experiencing this virus up close and oh so personal? Way too personal. I don't know if the average person in this country is even thinking about the November election. I am really not sure that they are. Right now, they are bombarded by someone in the White House who continues to lie and gaslight and terrorize and, quite frankly, continues to struggle to wash the blood off of his hands as we march further and further up the... Death count. It's really horrible that we've now got 59,000 people at this recording of this episode. 59,000 people who are no longer with us because of this virus and because of the callous and deliberate non action of Donald Trump. Signing executive orders, telling people in meatpacking plants with coronavirus all over them, people dying. Get back to work. Get back to work. And you've got those governors I told you about. You're going to be unemployed and you're not going to get any benefits because you refuse to go back to a place where coronavirus is present where coronavirus is killing people you will not get a dime from us you won't get a dime you quit your job you chose to put your life and your health and your safety ahead of your job at this meat packing plant or at this employer that you're with. So therefore, because you put your life and your health and your safety and your family's health and safety and lives ahead of your job, ahead of your employer, you are not going to get any unemployment benefits. It's either work and die or risk death or it's live and get nothing from us. The state completely abdicating its responsibility in a lot of these Republican governor-led states. And Donald Trump on television lying to you two hours a day, seven days a week pretty much although he had a little hiatus over the weekend because of the ridiculous and dangerous comments he made about drinking bleach and uh, injecting it and injecting disinfectant into your skin. The fact that the idea that this guy has not been removed from the White House tells you everything. Everybody knows that if Barack Obama had said this, he would have been removed already. If Hillary Clinton had said any of this, she would have been removed already. There is no question about that. And yet, this guy continues on and on. This is a death cult. Make no mistake about it. And what we have to do is bring a culture of life back into the United States of America. A culture of life.
1: Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you.
0: with Wonderwall. <laughs> Welcome back to The Politocrat on this Wednesday. Thank you very much for, for listening. We have an election coming up. Speaking of which, by the way, it should be noted that I am speaking of the general election in November. November the 3rd. Two thousand and twenty, but it should be noted that yesterday in New York, or was it Monday now, all these days bleed together, and I think it may have been Monday. I just do not remember now that Bernie Sanders was kicked off the New York State ballot for their election coming up, I mean which is really uh, undemocratic New york city new york state rather the the Empire State, with its governor. Governor Andrew Cuomo, who I think likes to hear himself talk. Look, I know that New York has been heavily hit. And I think Governor Cuomo has done a very good job in some respects. He has been a leader in some respects, but there are a lot of other respects where he has fallen way short. There are kinds of respects that the corporate news media, whether it's CNN or anyone else, is not telling you about. Is not telling you about his budget where he slashed hospital beds, his budget where he has cut Medicaid, his budget where he has been hostile to hospitals, his budget where he has outlined stronger penalties against the poor, his whole outlook toward detainees where he's been slow to act upon it. Now, granted, he has released some det- detainees who have a year or less in their sentence um, from penitentiaries or from prisons or from detention centers. But I think that Governor Cuomo has shown a very cavalier attitude and and he's a centrist, Democrat. He has shown a very cavalier attitude, I think, to some of the important issues that the media is not covering, like the homeless, like detainees, like prisoners who are getting This virus in record numbers. Corrections officers, record numbers, dying. Prisoners dying. These are human beings. They've committed crimes, yes. And they should be punished, yes. But not when you've got a public health crisis killing people. Is that your definition of punishment? Let these people rot in jail and die there? I think we have to be better than that as a country, as a state. We've executed people for so long in this country. And what you are seeing, again, is a death cult. And I really don't think that that can sustain itself in this country. We need a culture of life. We need life culture. We need a return to compassion. We need a a return to values that are people-centered. And we need a return to community cooperation. What I am worried about, perhaps more even than what I've just talked about, and I am worried about that too, and maybe you are as well, Is the Democratic Party, who I think have been generally the last couple of months, quite frankly, since the South Carolina victory that Joe Biden had in late February. In fact, on the last day of February, the leap day of this year, February 29th, ever since that moment, the Democratic Party, some would say long before that, some would say back in the night to the 1990s. And I might be inclined to agree with that. Quite frankly, I would be inclined to agree. But I'm just talking about in this year, 2020, ever since that South Carolina primary, the Democratic Party, the DNC has absolutely gone backwards. In fact, you could say before that, even uh, earlier in the year, and the DNC decided to let Michael Bloomberg on the stage. But this was all a distraction. It turned out, in my view, that Michael Bloomberg was installed as some of these other candidates may well have been as a Trojan horse as too high as operating to hide Joe Biden from us. Which is a real shame. But I do think this is how the game gets played in politics. That parties pick the candidate that they want and then try to find ways to siphon off the other candidates or at least hide the candidate that they want to become the Democratic nominee or... To win a particular political race in a state or in a town in order to make sure that the person they want wins. They've picked the winner before the race even begins before you, the voter, gets to vote, which is why I think a lot of people do get discouraged from voting because they think the process is fixed. But we do have the power. We do have the power. And believe me, the process is not as fixed as some people might think. Because if it were fixed, if it was completely fixed, you wouldn't have Republicans all over the country stealing your vote en masse. You wouldn't have it. So, all of that is to say where does that leave us with Joe Biden? Or as I call him. Calamity Joe. Joe Biden has had a really poor. Last few weeks. And I hear that there are polls that have him. Getting a bump. I don't know a bump from what. He is not the official democratic nominee yet by the way. Even though he's the presumptive nominee. But ever since. Bernie Sanders dropped out of this race earlier this month, and it was only, can you believe it, It it's only three weeks ago, exactly, that he dropped out. Three weeks ago today, Wednesday, April the 8th, 2020, was when Bernie Sanders dropped out. That was three weeks ago. And in those intervening three weeks, Joe Biden has, I think, swan-dived into concrete, I am very concerned about the Joe Biden 2020 campaign. And what I hope does not happen to this campaign is that his advisors, in particular, his advisors, I hope, do not take this election this year for granted. And the way they are behaving so far, all signs, in my view. Point to his advisors, Joe Biden's advisors, taking this general election this November for granted, taking voters for granted, taking black voters in particular for granted. My plea to Joe Biden's advisors and to Joe Biden is to take all of us seriously, to take Black voters very seriously. Because as some have said. Karen Hunter on Sirius XM. Among them. Drew McCaskill of Sirius XM. Among them. Is that you have. Around 10% or so of the black male population. From some kind of poll or some research. That shows that those percentage that percentage of black men support Donald Trump and if that is true Joe Biden had better focus his attention on the black community especially on black men and i think that he would be wise to look at the black community and actually focus his resources there reach out to them the way that Doug Jones did in Alabama when almost all of his outreach was done in largely black communities in Alabama. I think that that is the way for Joe Biden to go. If he really wants to have a winning strategy, I don't think he should be worrying about white suburban voters the way that Hillary Clinton did. I don't think that he should be worrying so much about white, female voters in suburbia the way Hillary Clinton did. White female voters largely largely went for Donald Trump last time. White female suburban voters in particular went for Donald Trump. 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump in 2016. This is with Donald Trump's allegations against him or the the rape allegations against him, the Access Hollywood tape that came out just a month before the election that I've talked about. So my message to Joe Biden, in particular, my message to him is you'd better get busy with a winning strategy. And a winning strategy is to go and get into The black and Latino neighborhoods in this country. And make sure you do spots on black radio. Make sure you do spots on Latino radio, Latinx radio. You've got some bridges and fences that you have to mend in the Latinx community. Because your boss, Barack Obama deported more undocumented individuals than anyone else in the White House in the history of that office and Joe Biden has been protested by several activist groups from the Latinx communities and various other communities during the debates he had been interrupted two or three times during his closing message or during an answer to a question. And each time, the two or three times that he was interrupted came because of the policies that he and his boss, Barack Obama, had instituted that cast aside A lot of individuals who had worked hard while being in the United States hadn't committed any crime while here, despite crossing the border, but had not committed any crime while here. And yet millions, hundreds of thousands, millions of undocumented workers were being deported. Joe Biden has some work to do. Joe Biden's team has a heck of a lot of work to do. Joe Biden will be in the next few days when May arrives, the month of May, and we're almost there. He will be having this exploratory committee to pick a vice presidential running mate. I think he should have already named that person. Now, there are polls out there that say, and you know, I do not trust polls. I'm not a big fan. But there are polls out there calling for Elizabeth Warren. There are polls out there saying she's the number one pick and many people prefer her over everybody. Then there are polls out there saying that that, uh, that it's either Elizabeth Warren or Stacey Abrams. Then there are polls out there saying, well, Kamala Harris might be in the mix as well. I've previously done episodes, an episode in particular, where I said I believe that Biden will end up picking Elizabeth Warren. Maybe he'll pick Amy Klobuchar. But I don't think Amy Klobuchar would inspire the excitement that you need with a campaign that so far has gone much so far. The way that Hillary Clinton's has. Very quiet. Very milk toast, Very low key. And too cold. Joe Biden's campaign. Like Hillary Clinton's. I think in many respects. Was very cold. And I'm not talking about the person. I'm not talking about. Uh, their personality at all. I'm talking about the atmosphere and the campaign spirit is very cold. There isn't a movement right now with Joe Biden that there was with Bernie Sanders. There isn't a movement with Joe Biden that there was actually with Marianne Williamson. There isn't a movement with Joe Biden that there is with Elizabeth Warren. There isn't a movement with Joe Biden that there is with Stacey Abrams. Speaking of Stacey Abrams, who has openly campaigned for the vice presidential spot, And someone who I think Joe Biden really should be looking at and should be picking. Here's what she said to Don Lemon on CNN last night, Tuesday night, regarding Tara Reid and her allegations against the very person she hopes to be the VP pick of.
2: As someone who wants to be his vice president, I think it's important that you, we speak about something that's in the news now. As you know, there is a sexual assault allegation against Joe Biden. The accuser, her name is Tara Reid, tells CNN that the alleged incident happened in 1993 while she was working as an aide in Biden's Senate office. She is claiming that she was delivering Biden a duffel bag and says that Biden had her up against the wall in a corridor uh, on the hill and violated her with his fingers. Now, CNN has now, has now spoken on the record with her former neighbor who says Reid told her about the allegation within a few years of the alleged incident. Biden's campaign says untrue, never happened. Is this a credible allegation?
3: I believe that women deserve to be heard and I believe that they need to be listened to. But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. I believe that he is a person who has demonstrated that his love of family, his love of our community has been made perfectly clear through his work as a congressional leader and as an American leader. I know Joe Biden and I think that he is telling the truth and that this did not happen.
2: So in in 2018, you tweeted it was shameful that Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination was being rushed forward and survivors of violence like Christine Blasey Ford deserve to have their voices heard. Are you applying a different standard now?
3: Not at all. I believe then and I believe now that women deserve to be heard because too often they are not. And Tara Reid deserved to have her story listened to and investigated. What was happening to Christine Blasey Ford was that there was no investigation. There was a rush to move the conversation forward so that no investigation was conducted. And as I said, I believe that there was, those allegations needed to be investigated. And I believe that the New York Times and subsequent reports support what the Biden campaign has said. And I believe Joe Biden.
2: So you said you've heard her, you've heard enough, you don't believe her, you believe Joe Biden.
3: No, what I'm saying is that the New York Times investigation of her allegations, the New York Times investigation does not support the accusations against the vice president. I believe the Biden I know, and I think that he will make women proud, that he will make America proud.
2: Does Joe Biden personally need to address this more directly and publicly?
3: I believe his campaign has been very clear, and I believe that that is approach that they intend to take and I support the approach because again we don't want women to ever be afraid to come forward but we also have to recognize that allegations should be investigated and that those investigations need to be borne out.
0: What do you think of what Stacy Abrams had to say? I find it all very troubling. And I do have a lot of concern for the way that the Biden campaign is going about all of this. I think this is what has happened here in the last few days. This is what I think is going on. And by the way, I do think that things are going a lot worse in this campaign than we even know right now. I am not surprised that Stacey Abrams took the stand that she took on the Don Lemon program CNN tonight, last night. That I am not surprised at. It saddens me, but it does not surprise me. She is putting her own, like many other politicians, male and female, her own personal ambition ahead of an issue dealing with survivors and dealing with this case. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. And I like Stacey Abrams. I think Stacey Abrams would be a very, very good vice presidential pick. And I think she should be picked. She will energize the Democratic base. Her speech last year, in response to Trump's State of the Union address, was a very good one. She's had a track record in Georgia. She has had great relationships with farmers. She has worked on their behalf. She's from the South. She's African-American. This is exactly the person I think Joe Biden needs to energize what has been a really awful campaign so far. Let's have it absolutely right. Anita Dunn. And the rest of the cohorts who are running that campaign have not done a stellar job. Not so far anyway. We are heading towards May and there still has not been an announcement of the vice presidential pick. There has not been any look at a cabinet fleshing out who you would have to solve these issues with this coronavirus, to solve the responses, to get involved more? Who would you pick to deal with this pandemic, to deal with a response to it, a proper prompt response? And he should be naming people. He should be saying, these are the kinds of people that I would have in this administration to deal with this. There are articles in the New York Times by certain people talking about, well, you know, Biden's doing the right thing by not stepping into the fray, by sitting back. You don't want to give him control of a shovel when the gardener in the White House is already shoveling that grave himself. You don't need to bother getting involved. Well, I actually think you do. I actually think you do, because we don't need the media, quite frankly, doing that work for Joe Biden, and we don't need Trump doing it. Joe Biden has got to lead here, and he's not leading at the moment. This response by Stacey Abrams really troubles me, but it does not surprise me. It is very sad that she's taken this tact, but it's not surprising. She wants to be vice president. She wants to be the VP pick. This is troubling. And I think this is orchestrated. First, you wait until your last rival drops out while the media completely ignores Tara Reid and what she's been saying for months, completely ignores the fact you know that she had actually gone to the New York Times last summer I mean this was not publicly widely known beyond maybe three or four media sources including democracy now including a program called rising on with the hill publication including current affairs publication outside of those two or three this the and Katie Halper who had a pod, has a podcast where she interviewed Tara Reid, and that was the first major interview, the first interview Tara Reid gave to anybody, at least via audio interview. So you don't put out any story at all during the month of March. Then you and you wait while there are stories in these other publications that get ignored. While well, we beck, beg you and beckon you to report the story and you don't until Bernie Sanders says, I'm out of here. Three weeks ago, Bernie Sanders, as I told you, he said, I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. I suspend my campaign. And then the Sunday after that, the Sunday after that, just five days later, on the 13th of April of this year. The New York Times comes up with an article detailed which suggests that they'd been writing and investigating this arguably since last summer when Tara Reid came to the Times and the Times just did not respond to her, ignored her, didn't put anything out at all. So they had been holding this story back, in my view. The New York Times has been known for this. James Risen talked about this how his story about Verizon, about Bush and about wiretapping and spying and, you know, all the Patriot Act and all this. Remember that story? The New York Times sat on that for over a year. Let's not forget our history here. James Risen wrote an entire book about this. And he ended up quitting the New York Times over this and other things. The New York Times is not the first time they've held back a story that was published and ready to go. Not the first time that they'd done that. And sadly, it's not going to be the last. And it's clear to me that they did the same again here with Tara Reid. And they had interviewed all these people who were all corroborating what Tara Reid said about Joe Biden. That's the strategy. This is all orchestrated in my view. And so after Bernie Sanders drops out. Now the story comes out five days later on the 13th of April. And the New York Times clears Joe Biden. We don't find that he did anything. As if the New York Times is, you know. A prosecutor. A grand jury. I mean, a defense attorney. I mean, is the New York Times behaving as Joe Biden's defense attorney I urge people to read that New York Times article from Sunday April the 13th by the way I think it's quite a good one in many respects but in other respects it's very pernicious coupled with the fact that around that very same time or days just after you had two columnists maybe three columnists Michelle Goldberg of that very same newspaper Joan Walsh of The Nation and Amanda Turcott, I think her name is, from either Salon or some other publication who were absolutely blaming Tara Reed and casting aspersions on her in a manner that was completely hypocritical and contradictory to another survivor, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, just two years earlier, less than two years earlier with Brett Kavanaugh, the Republican who got onto Trump's Supreme Court. So I am concerned. I am concerned. I'm concerned about Tara Reid. I'm concerned about survivors in general, especially now during this pandemic that we are going through. Very few people other than the advocates are speaking about them, advocating for them and actually helping them. And I get it. Tara Reed is being used, I think, to a degree by some of the people in the Bernie Sanders supporters camp. Now, are there people in the Bernie Sanders, and I'm a Bernie supporter saying this. Now, are there people in the Bernie Sanders camp now who support him still, who are using this with the hope that Bernie Sanders gets back into the race? Sure, there are. Are there people in the Bernie Sanders camp and in the Joe Biden camp, for that matter, who don't care about survivors? Of course there are. Are there people in either camp who are much more about their candidate at all costs than they are about the well-being of the country or the well-being of Tara Reid and any number of the millions of survivors in this country and around the globe? Of course, there's a lot of self-interest to go around. But some of us out here do care about the individuals involved rather than the overall competing interests. Make no mistake, I do want to make sure that Donald Trump is no longer in the White House after January of 2021. I want to make sure that on January 20th, 2021, we are swearing in the Democratic nominee. And while he is the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden is not the guaranteed nominee, at least not yet. And should it be that this the media continues to report on this, CNN in particular have, to their credit, the most high-profile news organization who has reported on these allegations. In fact, the the only... Television, major television cable news broadcast to do so. If this reporting continues, Joe Biden will have a choice to make. He has a decision to make. And if there is a second woman, and as I've said before, how many women, and I'm not the only one who said this, how many women does it take for a man accused of rape or any other kind of violence? or violation how many women does it take to come out before that man has to speak up be investigated or be put on trial how many how many women does that take how many abused or violated women or women alleging a violation does it take in america or anywhere else for that matter before people either believe them Or before the people being accused or the person, the man being accused has to speak up and say something at the very minimum. I think that Joe Biden has to speak out and speak up about these allegations that Tara Reid is making. And I've said that I believe Tara Reid, and I still do. That will not change. What I think must happen now with Joe Biden's campaign is a wholesale approach to seriously caring about survivors. About women of all races. And backgrounds. Not just. High profile women. Who may be professors. Who may be endearing to certain groups. But women who work at restaurants. Women who work in the hotel industry. Women who work in the grocery stores. Women who work in bus drive as bus drivers, women who work in any kind of discipline. Joe Biden has now got to show care and compassion. And by care and compassion, I am not talking about hugging, rubbing someone's forehead with your own, groping, leaving your hand on the neck of a woman, squeezing her shoulders, rubbing her arms, That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. What I am talking about... Is... An empathy and a compassion... Where you're not putting your hands on a woman in any way. That you have to advocate... And show... That you are somebody... Who will speak to the issues that matter to all of us, including obviously to women who make up 51 plus percent of the population here in the United States. And you also have to speak out and speak up about these allegations. Joe Biden cannot hide behind a statement that was prepared almost a month ago. Joe Biden cannot afford to do that. There are millions of survivors in this country. Millions of them. I wonder if Joe Biden's group are taking voters for granted because they know that Trump is far worse. And has dozens of women who say that he has either raped them or harassed them in a physical way. I wonder, if, I wonder if that is what the strategy, in quotes, of the Democratic Party is, of Joe Biden's campaign. I wonder if that's their strategy. I really don't think it's a good one if it is. Joe Biden has to come out and make a public statement. I don't think that Joe Biden sitting behind a statement that a press spokesperson or a deputy press spokesperson made is a good idea. I really don't think that Stacey Abrams having to defend Joe Biden and Rebecca Traster of the cut. Wrote a really good article about this. Over the last day or two, where she talked about women and progressive women in particular having to cover for Joe Biden in this climate regarding these allegations that Tara Reid is making. I think that it's a really problematic thing. And Joe Biden, the longer he stays silent, the more I think that he becomes. A liability for the Democratic Party. You can't have a platform at your convention, no matter where you're going to hold it, whether it's on the Internet, whether it's in a secluded location or not at all. Saying that you care about women and their well-being and you care about working families and you care about all of these individuals. And about healthcare and better responses for black women and the better health outcomes and advocating, trying to do something to improve those outcomes for black women. And you're saying that you want to have a platform, that you have a platform where women are going to be treated with respect. When you have your very candidate, your very nominee that you want to nominate being accused of rape and quite frankly... Not just saying it, but also making very clear in everything she says what Joe Biden did and how consistent it is with who he is based upon what I've observed of Joe Biden myself by watching him on television, by watching how he approaches women, by watching how he approaches some men and how he points at them, points at women, points at men. During a Democratic steak fry in Des Moines, Iowa last year, and I have this on the Politocrat YouTube page, video of Joe Biden doing the same thing, sticking his, jamming his finger in a reporter's face when the reporter asked him about, did you speak to your son Hunter Biden about an investigation? This is a connected to the Ukraine at the time this is back in September of last year and on that video which I have posted on the Politocrat YouTube page Joe Biden is pointing and jabbing his finger in the face of a reporter and Tara Reid describes this very same behavior as to what happened to her in 1993 you have the Larry King audio the video that I played for you yesterday on this episode. You have corroboration from half a dozen friends of hers, from her brother, from others. Not just now in 2020, but back in 1993. Joe Biden must speak up now about this he cannot afford to hope that it will just go away and I'm not saying this to advocate damage control what I am saying with this is for him to make a statement not a written statement but to come out before the cameras on live television and make this statement We can evaluate whether you are telling the truth or not. The public will make their decision. And then we will see. I don't think the public, for the most part, even cares, which is, I think, very sad, especially now. But I do think that this is, if any time was a time to do this, it would be now during a pandemic, quite frankly. This would be the time to say something to respond to the allegations Newsweek has had articles Business Insider CNBC USA Today CNN Washington Post New York Times I mean now these these publications are finally finally you know this this information has been out here for a number of weeks now and it is only after bernie sanders dropped out just 3 weeks ago that you started to see more of the mainstream corporate news media publications and entities on cable start to speak up about this fox news has talked about this for goodness sakes so i think that uh, joe biden has to come clean here. And I think that a decision has to be made because if there are other women who have been raped by Joe Biden, who have been violated by Joe Biden, he's going to have to remove himself from this race. Quite frankly, I think he should be removing himself now. But I think the country has resigned itself to Joe Biden in the sense that they voted for him. He won the Ohio primary that was vote by mail. He won that overwhelmingly yesterday. Not a surprise that he's going to continue to do this as he gets closer to the 1991 mark. I thought that taking Bernie off the ballot in New York was despicable and the New York officials who did it should be ashamed of themselves this is a reversal of democracy any notion of democracy is absolutely in the gutter when people are doing this you know that Brooklyn, Bernie's from Brooklyn, New York so these state officials took it upon themselves to say well boom we're going get, to get him out of there I mean obviously everybody knows AOC is from New York she's going to vote for Joe Biden by the way Everybody knows that AOC supported Bernie and AOC has a large, has a lot of sway in New York City. And so these Democratic officials in New York decided, no. Forget it. We're taking Bernie off the ballot. They were afraid that in New York, where the most densely populated areas are in the whole state, they were afraid that they'd all vote for Bernie. So we're going to just cure that problem right quick and we're going to just take him off the ballot. The DNC is doing their best to skate a weak nominee through to November. And Joe Biden has had to do absolutely nothing so far to get this nomination. Apart from some would say some skullduggery and some vote stealing and some manipulation of the votes in some of these Super Tuesday states, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Maine, Texas, California. Joe Biden has not been vetted. Joe Biden has a lot of baggage. And now these allegations that I think are very credible, I believe Tara Reid, and I think the very least that Joe Biden must do now is respond to these allegations. Make a statement before the cameras. He may go on Twitter and do it, and he may have a recorded statement. I think he should have a live statement and he can decide whether he wants to take questions or not. I would doubt that he does. I bet you he wouldn't take questions. But I do think that what he should do at the very minimum here is to actually come out, make a statement. You're this champion of women. You you authored the Violence Against Women Act. And I have a problem with the way that's phrased. The Violence Against Women Act. I think it should be called the Anti-Violence Against Women Act or the Safeguarding Women Act. And I just think that, yeah, you may have written that and authored that legislation and it may have been something you championed, but look what you've been doing to women in general. Look at what you did to Anita Hill. You refused to allow her friends and associates who are all female come to her defense and to articulate and corroborate her case against Clarence Thomas, when you were the head of the Judiciary Committee. Why did, why was it that you didn't allow her witnesses to speak on her behalf? You refused them. You blocked them. And he's never been vetted for that. Anita Hill has refused any apology. He made this public statement, well, you know, I regret that. Bailey didn't even really say sorry. I regret. And Anita Hill was not having it. Anita Hill was not having it. And I think quite rightly so. So I think... That Joe Biden needs to be out front here. He needs to come out and make a statement. CNN has been reporting on this almost daily now. And I think it would be really terrible for Joe Biden not to say anything about Tara Reid, to pretend that Tara Reid doesn't exist, to pretend that Tara Reid somehow is someone who's just going to go away, to pretend that nothing happened back in 1993. Joe Biden is going to have to speak about this. This is going to come up during the debates. If Joe Biden does become the nominee and the moment he is the presumptive nominee, a lot can happen between now and September or mid-August in the case of the Democrats when they are deciding to put their convention back to mid-August. A lot can happen between now and then and certainly between now and November. November. And I guarantee you if Joe Biden does not speak out about this now, it is going to come up in the debates between he and Donald Trump. I guarantee you it will. And if by then Joe Biden hasn't spoken out about it. He is going to be doing this live before the cameras before the world. And he is not a good debater. He is not somebody who is good on his feet when he's being asked certain questions. What is he going to say when the moderator brings up Tara Reid? What is he going to say? Tara Reid deserves to be heard. Tara Reid should be believed. I think she's very credible. I've never doubted her. I've always felt that what she said is absolutely true I wasn't there you were not there the only two people who were are Tara Reid and Joe Biden only one of them is telling the truth and both of them know who that is. I am Omar Moore. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat.